here we are with Chris V, uh, or Chris Bradbury more formally, CEO of Summerfy. Uh, Summerfy, previously Oasis, is the sixth largest DeFi protocol with over $3 billion of assets logged. It provides ability to borrow and lend across multiple other DeFi protocols. So, um, yeah, super interesting conversation. And Chris has been uh, in, in the trenches of DeFi for a while. So it will be great to, you know, hear your thoughts uh, about this space more broadly too. So Chris, it's, it's great to have you on the Defined podcast. Welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to meet you. Let's get started uh, with just like the very basics uh, of Summer 5. You can just uh, give me a quick background on uh, what it does. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess really the thing we're, we're trying to do with Summerfy more than anything else is just make it the best place for, for borrowing and earning um, in DeFi, really. So uh, the DeFi aspect is obviously kind of really close to our heart ever since the kind of early days of when it used to be Oasis, when it used to be tied to Maker. Um, but for us, it's all about kind of non-custodial uh, and, and, and self-custody of assets uh, and stuff, mm -hmm. really, and, and giving utility to those. So, of course, like the thing that's associated with crypto for 99% of people out there is just it's just trading, just buying and selling, uh, and so on, which kind of like really downplays everything that, that kind of crypto is about for us and stuff, really. So really it's yeah, summer now is really just that trying to be that place for for everyone really, whether you're a yeah, kind of early user trying to trying to get going in the kind of self-custody world, um, or or the kind of more advanced uh user that that has a, a kind of exact job that you want to get done, whether it's a long-term goal or short-term goal. Um, and you want to do that without giving up custody. And for us, a lot of that is is really through the idea of borrowing and lending um, and earning, uh, basically, um, various strategies on on top of that, really to suit any sort of risk level um, that that you have. Um, hmm. We're not we're not we're not we're not targeting day traders uh, really. So if you're looking kind of for this kind of like super like like high frequency trades or something like that, or those charts that are like split on like five second intervals or whatever, like that's that, that isn't what we do, but we do try and add like a really nice user experience and and, and a ton of added value really um, to the core underlying protocols. So you mentioned the the you know previous name Oasis and the connection with with Maker. Can you go a, a bit into that just you know to clarif clarify the history uh, behind behind uh, Summer? Like, what's this connection with Maker? Why the name change? Yeah, certainly. Yeah. So, I mean, so originally it was, it was Oasis.app. Um, and that, that Oasis brand came with us all the way since we launched Oasis.app in, in 2019, like November 2019, um, when multi-collateral die launched, uh, with Maker and Oasis.app at that point was within the Maker Foundation. Um, it was kind of the, the, the default front end from the Maker Foundation to access the Maker protocol. And it really was just the, it was the very, very basic front end so it, it effectively enabled you to do all of the things you could do on the maker protocol from a kind of borrowing um point of view so it enabled you to lock to support your collateral and enabled you to borrow uh tokens and we tried to simplify the ux a little bit by joining joining some actions together where possible um but it was a very very simple interface back then it kind of the very early days it was kind of split between borrow borrow save and trade um so you obviously had a you had the borrow aspect which is kind of the most popular aspect really uh, now, um, really from, from Maker. But you also had the DSR, um, which was like super attractive. Um, I mean, it is again now, but I mean, for two years it, it disappeared and so on, but it was super attractive when Multicollateral Die first launched. It was like kind of the safest yield you could almost get really. Um, and we offered that to Oasis Save. And then we had Oasis Trade 
and that's that was uh, Oasis Trade was where the, the Oasis brand kind of really was born. Um, actually, much much earlier, I think back in early 2017, um, when when kind of the the original core maker devs they released their first on chain decks, um, kind of simple market originally, and it got rebranded Oasis decks. So that that Oasis name had had a lot of history and a lot of connection um, with Maker, and in 2019 when we were like Maker were no longer hosting a front end on the Maker DAO domain, which was kind of as a first back then. Um, we needed a brand name that was kind of known known to people, but also trusted to people because yeah, we were asking people to separate at times of millions of dollars um, of their assets, and if we suddenly just came out with a, with a brand new name, then uh, yeah, it, it wasn't like yeah, it'd be difficult to trust that in some aspects. So there's Oasis brand with all those early Maker users and any user that had used Maker had pretty much used Oasis Dex at that point because it was really the only place to trade DAI mm. in the very early days. So once the single collateral DAI was launched in December uh, 2017, like Oasis Dex was the trading avenue for it. Same with the MKR token um, and so on. So anybody at that point who had used single collateral DAI pretty much had used Oasis Dex. So there was a real familiarity um, with it. If we then fast forward to 2021, when the Maker Foundation was kind of winding down and, and dissolving, um, we took Oasis.app out as a, as a separate company because it was it was full of centralized com components, basically, that didn't really and, and couldn't really be handed, just handed over to a community. Um, we'd added a lot of user experience things on top of it and included like databases running behind the scenes and a lot of things that, again, yeah, needed something called like kind of contracts to be signed with certain people and so on. However, when we fast forward that to like summer, of of this year well summer yeah but forward it to like <laughs> middle middle of this year that that connection between maker and oasis was 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 still really really strong and and kind of our our plan once we took it out into its own company in 2021 was really to take at the time oasis to be kind of a DeFi application so kind of it grew up being a maker maker application and the front end to maker but really we wanted to now take it and kind of like kind of put on its like kind of full clothes in a way and, and send that all into the world almost like a grown-up and say hey like let's go and like on board like the whole of like what we'd like to say like the trusted the trusted part of DeFi onto onto the app and let all of the other users that trusted Oasis app access the trusted side of DeFi because there's a lot of DeFi that it's is is still just yeah it, if it's too good to be true it normally is right so we we kept it quite tight and quite curated um, and so on, but it, we, we felt like the beginning of this year that the the Oasis brand was kind of holding us back a little, and it was always this, oh you, you're the maker, you're the maker team or the maker front end and so on, um, and also for, for for a reason that I've never been quite able to put my finger on, the Oasis has just been this brand name that everyone just keeps starting to use in crypto, and I think at one point like at the beginning of this year we had about six or seven projects that we knew about called Oasis. And I think it was at ETH Denver where we just endlessly got asked, um, which Oasis are you? And I think that was the light bulb moment really. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, it's it's time to change. Um I think it was I think 2022 we added the dot app into the actual brand. So with the, the URL was always oasis.app, but it was like we had to put that in the brand to distinguish who we were. But uh yeah, so mm -hmm. so so we changed, we took that kind of like kind of fun, playful but but still serious name. Um of of summerfy um and yeah hopefully playing on playing on the idea of crypto summer as well and uh yeah so far it, it, it's i think actually it went smoother than maybe we expected internally i think we had a lot of hesitation to start with um about rebranding something that had so much kind of brand equity going in the history of it mm -hmm. um but it's proved to, yeah it's proved to be really good 
know, particularly if you, if you speak to kind of Maria in our team, she'll, uh, yeah, she no longer gets asked which summer are you. So I think on that, on that PST, uh, probably the best successes we had. Super interesting. Okay. So I guess the, the main, um, idea behind changing the brand was to become a, not a maker front end, but a fully fledged independent DeFi application, which would become the, the best place to, um, land and borrow. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. Mm. I, it, yeah. Instead of a maker front end, it was a DeFi front end, um, really. And adding mm. all the bells and whistles into that, that, that you need as a user, because as a user, you don't want to go to, or have like 10 different tabs open to carry out like kind of like one, get one job done or so on, or, or check the market for like multiple different places mm. or so on, or have to do 10 transactions in order just to, just to get your position from like step A to step B. Um, and that's what we're talking about when we use like kind of many protocol front ends, right? That it's, it, it can be a lot of transactions, a lot of trades, a lot of swapping tokens and so on. And uh, it doesn't need to be. And as new users, then we can't expect them to jump through kind of 10 hoops to, to do something that in a kind of centralized world, they would just do it a click of a button. So getting now a bit deeper into, into how summer uh, works. So you talked about, you know, putting all the trusted side of DeFi together. And I see that you are uh, providing access to Maker and Ave. Spark as well uh, at the moment. And then, and then, and then we had Arjuna as well um, for a short time in kind of July and August uh, for their launch, the completely permissionless um, borrowing lending protocol. Um, but they, but they had that kind of they had like a, a, a small griefing vector in in it. Um, so that's we launching, yeah, really, really soon. And uh, yeah, we'll have full support for that again once it once it relaunches. Okay, and then um, how how does summer work? Is it uh, how how centralized is it? Uh, because you're providing a, con a connection to all these different DeFi uh, applications as a as a front end, but also adding more actions to it. So yeah, if you can go through kind of the the different layers and the degrees of control you as a team have. Yeah, so it's still in, entirely decentralized. Um, so everything that you do on summer. You don't, you don't you don't have to go through the summer UI uh, in order to do. So if you want to interact through the contracts through Etherscan and so on, um, you can. Other front ends can support the contracts if they want to. There's 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 absolutely nothing stopping any of that. The entire automation system that we have now is is completely decentralized um, as well. So the the centralized aspect really is is kind of the added levels of the UI. Um, we add on to it. Um, we have databases like like database tables that help control. Um, the views that you see. So for instance, if you're using a borrow vault uh, or a multiply uh, vault, they're exactly the same thing um, on chain. There's absolutely no difference with them on, on chain or anything like that. Like the, the, the Ethereum blockchain has no concept of what a borrow vault is or a multiply vault is. It is, it is just a UI um, change really. And the idea of that is to say, if you're a borrow user, you have a, you have a different job to be done compared to say a multiply user, like the, the data hierarchy that the, the most critical information to you as a user when you're using it as a multiply vault mm. is different than if you're using it as a as a borrow or debt position. Um, so that's 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 that bit there. So it's the centralization aspect really is is only only at the UI level. Um, how we add our different actions onto it is is through proxy contracts. So you you may have noticed that when you're using 
the summify if you go to profiles like the bank or whatever you'll notice that you it, it shows up your your like Aave v3 position um for example like tied to your account but the position is not actually in in your wallet but it's owned by a a, a proxy account or a kind of a dpm like a DeFi position manager account that we have that's that's entirely owned by your wallet so you are still the only one that can can touch or control uh, that that proxy contract but it's that proxy contract that holds the 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 underlying position um and there is just that still that entirely self custody connection to the underlying position from your wallet there is absolutely nothing we could do even if we wanted to there is there is no technical way for us to do anything to that position um without you signing the transactions for it but that proxy layer enables us to add all of the additional actions that we want to do for you um or you want to do like kind of through through summify so if you want to go um from just eth in your wallet to like a 3x yeah, eth die or eth usdc position for example on uh on on rvb3 you can do that in just one transaction um now in reality if you were to do that on the Aave front end, uh, for example, it would probably take seven to eight eight transactions. So through that proxy, you can do one transaction where we utilize flash loans. Uh, we'll do swaps through through one inch. Then we'll find the best market price uh, for you uh, on there. Present that to you, including price impact and so on. So exactly what your the price you're going to pay, plus the kind of the worst possible price you're going to pay as well. Crucially, so if you've got slippage um, set at like 0.5 percent or even 0.1 percent or whatever, it will show you the kind of the worst possible state your vault can end in. Um, so, so you know that if you you sign this transaction, the kind of absolute worst state you're going to be in is this maybe like seventy eight percent loan to value. But hopefully, it like completes at like seventy seven percent, for example. But that trade, it will use that flash loan or whatever, and it will perform the trade. It will perform the swaps. It will repay the flash loan, and it will put your vault into the exact end state that you want it in in just a single transaction. And that's massively amplified or. Like as a good example, when you look at maybe like the wrap state ETH ETH earn strategies we've got, which which go up to like nine x, because that would be like many 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 transactions. We all know the costs of of mainnet um, as well, and what it costs sometimes to get in and out of positions. If you've got to do that eight or nine times, it can be kind of excruciating. And obviously, some of the worst thing hmm. things with gas prices on Ethereum is that sometimes it might be cheap to get into a position, but the thing you can't control is the gas price when you want to get out as well. So it's it's all very well helping users get into these positions in one click, but crucially we allow every user to get out of their positions in in one click as well. Um, and we don't restrict that if you've if to to just multiply users if you've kind of almost if you've used our like contracts to get into your position, like you can any position you have you can just get out of it as well um, in one click whether you've used the multiply contracts before or not. But it's your question on centralization. There is yeah, there's nothing centralized about the the access to the positions and the access to the underlying protocols um it's really just the 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 user interfaces and so on and the kind of added value we put on the ux of of accessing and seeing information really that's critical to you making the best decision possible got it okay so the added value of using um these different DeFi protocols via summer is because you offer an additional layer of, of strategies that you allow the or you help the user perform with one transaction versus through the multiple pr- transactions that would be required if they were accessing these underlying protocols maker Aave um, directly yeah pretty much 
that is what we do. And then we have features on top of that as well, uh, like the automation features as well. So through that proxy contract, you can, yeah, you can, you can add automation. So if you don't even have to be at your computer or at your wallet, um, to perform actions at certain kind of trigger points on, on, on the things, whether that's market trigger points or whatever. Um, so that's again, where the kind of proxy and, and the layer of Summify comes in. But again, there's no, there's no sacrifice of cust like custodianness and stuff, things like that. And what are some of the most uh, popular strategies? So, so at the moment, obviously we are multiply, like particularly when the markets are doing what they're doing at the moment, the multiply, the multiply strategies are obviously pretty much the most popular, allowing people to kind of, kind of go long, go short if they, if, if, if they want to, if they, they think the kind of that's, that's, that's the top there. Um, but yeah, those, those one click actions are, are, are very popular with users. Um, just, just to get in and out of positions uh, quickly um, and, and to reduce the mistakes on the, on the earn side, we've got that, we've got that wrap state ETH, ETH uh, strategy, which particularly kind of throughout the second half of 2022 and, and like kind of summer of this year as well, when the markets kind of just got a bit, a bit stale and just kind of the crab markets and just, they just went sideways. It was the best strategy to almost be in. Do you just accumulating ETH? You were outperforming just the, the standard state ETH kind of positions or whatever. And you could do this for CB ETH, R ETH or whatever. Um, so yeah, they proved that proved they, and, and still do. Uh, still are very very popular um, with users. When the when the DSR went to eight percent and even even still at five percent, um, I think we were the first ones to support the SDI USDC um, or SDI stablecoin strategy. Really, where you could ultimately go kind of almost ten x the the SDI rate, maybe paying somewhere between three and four percent as a as a borrow rate on the on the, maybe the USDC to to borrow. But then you were like yeah, getting a big uptake on the kind of the arbitrage opportunity there as well. So where you were earning eight percent maybe on the on the savings die, yeah, you were kind of like like eight eight nine xing that kind of like four or five percent in the middle um, uh, that was there. So that's that's still that's still quite popular. I'd love for you to go through how these strategies work. Like, uh, yep. if if you could break down the process, um, say do do like the step by step on how this you know the SDI USDC strategy works. Yeah, so effectively, if if savings die is is yielding eight percent uh, for you, um, you can use that in collateral, like in in Spark, in Aave. It was Arjuna we launched it on on the first time. Sorry, is that is that you you stake or like you deposit on Maker? Is that right? And you get that eight percent benchmark. Yeah. Uh, so so you deposit you deposit die into into Maker, um, and there's there's two ways you can kind mm -hmm. of do that. You can deposit it directly into a DSR. Um, Without without getting a token back, uh, or you can choose to mint uh, SDI, mm -hmm. the savings die uh, token. So obviously, minting the token gives you a there's, a there's a tiny little bit of added smart contract risk there. So the really nice thing about DSR was was there was no to like smart contract token risk uh, you were taking on, but with SDI you are you're getting the token, and because you're getting that token, you can then deploy it into other DeFi protocols, Aave, Spark, mm -hmm. uh, Arjuna, Compound, or whatever whoever supports it. Um, so, so how that how the strategy works is providing the borrow rate for USDC uh, in this example is less than the Dow savings rate. So in this case, um, like when it first when it first got increased, it was eight percent. Today it's five percent. So, so let's use today's rate. So it's five percent today. So if the borrow rate for USDC is is less than five percent, you can earn you can earn more doing this yield loop strategy. So let's say you can put it into into one of those protocols and you can kind of almost for simplicity, let's say you can 10 exit. So what you would effectively do there is if you were to put a, a thousand 
dollars of, of SDI into into the protocol, you would you could kind of simply like have changed that to ten thousand dollars of of savings die kind of deposited with say nine thousand dollars of of USDC debt. Um, so you're paying kind of say let's say three uh, percent in it for an example. So you're maybe paying three percent to borrow that that USDC, um, uh, but you're earning you're earning five percent on the on the savings die. Now, when we 10x that up, we're effectively 10xing that 2% um, kind of difference difference between it in a way. So so we're kind of earning like 20% um, at that point, at that 10x thing in kind of very simplistic, in kind of simplistic ways, because none of the borrow rates are like static or anything like that. But but on average, if those were the kind of things coming back, you'd be earning around 20% uh, yield. Instead of just holding savings die at 5%, you're, you're effectively 10xing whatever that kind of... Uh, gap is ever so slightly. Um, plus there is a little bit more because you always have, you're not borrowing the exact same amount as your, as your collateral. You've always got that extra. So if you've said you've got that like kind of thousand extra, then you, you're earning that 5% as well on the, on the fight, on the thousand extra as well. So that's, that's how the yield leap strategies kind of, kind of work. So provided the borrow rate is always less than the rate that you are, uh, earning on the token, um, then you, you, you're going to be in, you're going to be in profit um, in comparison mm. to just holding the token. So it's the same with the wrap state ETH, ETH one as well. So providing the yield rate on the on the wrap state ETH, which yeah fluctuates between kind of three and three point six percent roughly, and well some days when the network's busy, kind of eight or nine percent, right? But uh, provided the borrow rate for ETH kind of maintains less than the average, so let's say it stays at like less than four percent, you will always be making uh, making more. Um, than just holding the token, but you're taking on that kind of smart contract risk. So within that, you're taking on the smart contract mm-hmm. risk of, of the underlying protocol. Um, you're also potentially taking on trading, kind of trading risk as well. So with kind of state teeth mm-hmm. and, and, and so on, like you've obviously got the kind of uh, the routes that Lido create as well, where you can kind of wrap ETH to state teeth one for one and, and hopefully as well, kind of close it as well. But sometimes it can you've got to be careful in such large positions because you can move the market a lot in, in price, trying to maybe get out of these positions. Cause if you think you're, you're 10 X, mm. so if you're depositing a million dollars of this, of, of, of maybe dying, you're 10 Xing it, it's a $10 million trade and a $10 million trade has a much higher price impact than just a million dollar um, trade. So there's, there's kind of multiple levels of like, sometimes it's easy to get in. Like if, when you look at the kind of savings die and die USDC strategy, you've got to make a PSM. Uh, the PEX stability module, which allows you to trade DAI USDC one for one at all times without there's no curve or anything. It's just one to one at all times unless they add a fee. Um, but that helps you get in and out of these strategies uh, without without any trading loss um, at that point. But uh, yeah, with the smart contract risk as well, there are always kind of added risks um, to take in. So that's kind of where the where the where the yield is coming from. Ether.Fi is a non-custodial liquid staking protocol focused on providing the most secure path to maximizing rewards in the Ethereum staking ecosystem. Your ETH can be staked and then restaked to earn you the best rewards, all while maintaining composability for DeFi applications. Not your keys, not your coins. So, I mean, there's there's so many steps involved. um, So you deposit a token, whether it be SDI or wrap staked ETH, uh, yep. then with that collateral, you take out a loan in a, another token, which 
you know, the borrow rate should be lower than the um, the earning or like the lending yeah. rate. <laughs> and then I guess you have to trade that token you borrowed for the collateral again to yeah. deposit that same collateral again. Then you take out another loan. You, then you trade that for the collateral and, and you do this in a loop. Yeah. So, right. It's like, there's a risk that, you know, e like any of the, the protocols that you're using, there's some smart contract failure. There's some risk in kind of the slippage when you, you're executing these, these trades. Um, what else? I guess like maybe the risk yeah. that there's a DPEG or yeah. like that yeah, you 100%. get liquidated. Yeah. Um, yeah. DPEG yeah. things are real risk. Um, and that's amplified. Mm -hmm. Gosh, my mind's, my mind's got a little bit blank, but, uh, uh, was it March, March, April time, USDC depegged? Um, yeah, I think, yep. and, and, the, and a lot of these strategies, um, like on there, like we had a, we had another strategy that's kind of close to new users now because maker put their, put their cap in, but it was one of the a strategy called a G uni strategy. And it effectively allowed you to, um, mm -hmm. uh, get 50, 50 X exposure to the die USDC pool on, on Uniswap V3. So it effectively allowed you that if you, did, if you wanted to supply, say, $10,000 um, uh, onto, onto Uniswap V3 USDC pool, it actually allowed you to pay, effectively deposit $500,000 of liquidity to the pool. So if 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 like you're in the pool and you just deposit it straight through Uniswap and you put $1,000 in, and, and I did it and I put $1,000 in, actually I'm putting $50,000 in, so I'm getting 50X the fees, the fee revenue that you are. Um, through this thing. And that strategy worked perfectly because of the PSM. There was this die, die USDC always one-to-one -one and stuff, except when the peg broke. And and when the peg broke, um, for example, like we were like had a lot of users like contacting us and and like even personally as well, because suddenly their UI was like, oh, you're minus like your fifty thousand dollar position, you deposited your minus like three hundred thousand dollars right now. Um, because the peg you had die the die peg broke in that kind of that weekend um right and even if the users wanted to close they they they, they couldn't close because technically they were they, they couldn't repay the debt because their, their their the value that they had was just not enough to cover their cover the debt because the usdc now was less than the die the psm had had basically frozen itself because it, was, it had been used so much and we were in this this, this crazy scenario basically where uh yeah, like it was, it was kind of stuck because of that DPEG and that that DPEG risk, um, uh, basically. So that that strategy there, basically, it only works when 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 Dyn USDC are are one to one, um, basically. I think it's 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 also clear. Like we try and make that quite clear as well when when people are going into it. But there's, there, there are these assumptions um, that are there. But but everything worked perfectly in in that sense. Like the entire protocols, like there was no there was no bad debt or anything anywhere. Um, it, it it was purely the market conditions, right? And as we all know, it then came back as soon as like the banks opened on Monday or whatever. Uh, it, it was all fine, um, but we did have like those moments. How and, much was uh, liquidated from that? Do you remember uh, like, from from those positions? How many users were mm -hmm. from those positions? Mm -hmm. Nobody was liquidated um, because the actual positions, according oh. to Maker, were 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 technically not underwater. So Maker prices die always at one dollar, uh, and so on. 
Um, so like Maker's inbuilt price of the, on the protocol is it assumes DAI is always one dollar. So so at that point, um, and I believe actually at the time as well, maybe still is. I think the USDC Oracle also assumes USDC is also one dollar. So it's like and, and liquidations are actually even turned off on that on that strategy. Um, kind of almost within the trust that like USDC is 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 worth a dollar. Um, at least but then I'm actually not even sure like if they if they've updated that Oracle um or not uh today. But um but yeah, not, not nothing was liquidated. It was it was really just a kind of like nuance really of kind of what was going on in the market. Um Mm-hmm. And like theoretically, like if you were to try and close your position, you would you would you would take a huge loss because the value of buying USTC was was just just so so far below the dollar peg, um, basically at the time. Mm. Uh, and the fact that Dai always re- like maintained about a two cents a price two cents higher than USTC, but the entire Uniswap pool was like ninety nine point nine percent USDC. So you had to change all of that USDC to Dai in order to close your position. But because it was trading at two cents less, uh, and it and it's fifty x, it meant that you just couldn't you, you couldn't get there basically. So nobody was liquidated, nobody lost money. But if you had tried to close that position, you would have lost money at the time. Yeah, because of the because of the breaking price between USDC and and Dai. Um, if 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 it would have even allowed you to close, um, I mean, we we had we had a number of people that had put quite large deposits into it because at, at times that 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 thing was yielding like twenty or thirty percent. Uh, at times, I think the average is still maybe above ten percent if you keep it open at the moment. Um, so yeah, people were worried about this this, this huge sum of money, um, kind of kind of at risk. And I think as well, a lot of people may be trying to arbitrage the USDC uh, DPEG rate as well, right? There was a big opportunity then if you if you believed that USDC was going to return to the dollar, you you could buy the USDC easily at ninety cents, um, like even on Coinbase or whatever, right? And in theory, it was a very quick ten percent gain um in kind of 48 hours but you had the trust that the peg was gonna gonna return and and like that kind of like with that that once it did return the the amount of trading that took place on the die usdc pool on uniswap meant all those users that had this big exposure to the pool earn a lot of fees as well kind of a few days later when it all kind of trickled through the oracles and so on um yeah, they had like noticeable, noticeable jumps up in the value of their positions. What a wild time! Ah, uh, yeah, it was it was a crazy weekend. Like, it actually feels like years ago, right? But uh, <laughs> crazy yeah. to think it's still this year <laughs> at the moment. So um, I don't know. To me, like these these looping strategies, definitely. I mean, it's a kind of thing like flash loans. It's a kind of thing that you only see in DeFi. Like you're, you wouldn't be able to do this um, with this efficiency, like in in one transaction in traditional finance. Uh, but here, you're able to, you know, automate this hugely complex transaction uh, to multiply your capital, uh, which is, you know, on on the one hand great but on the other hand it does make me nervous like if i were to think about okay where's one place in in defi that maybe we could see some some sort of you know black swan or something go off or you know some sort of you know dominoes triggered um these are the kinds of things that you look out for like when there's like multiple layers of risk and derivatives and 
all this stuff. So what are your thoughts there? Like, how do you, how do you manage that risk? Or do you think, do you think that's, that's even a right appreciation? Maybe I'm, I don't know, uh, overblowing it. So I think like, so I think Flashstones introduce a huge amount of risk into the, the industry and protocols from the sense that almost any, any exploit now is, is undertaken through the use of Flashstones, right? Um, so if you, if you want to exploit a protocol, you want to move the markets, like when flash flash loans first came out it introduced huge risk for protocols that had never considered flash loans before or like the protocols were written and flash loans weren't a thing so the idea of building in kind of like protection against flash loans whether you kind of force it to be an extra block before you can perform a second action or whatever um yeah it causes it causes huge risk uh in in that sense however to to kind of counterbalance that flash loans also help you when there is a black swan event so if we think back to black thursday um kind of going kind of all the way back to like like covid times march um i think 17th 18th um back then one of the biggest issues that we saw with users um many that were still fairly new probably to, to ethereum and so on and i think for the first time people that were using ethereum back then discovered the concept of nonces and so on within within their self-custody wallet But but on that day, the amount of users um, that effectively got liquidated ultimately because they locked their wallet, um, they they were trying to just they were trying to trade. It it was it was before one five five nine, so you had to like put the gas price in and and so on, and and you were like these gas these gas price wars and so on back then, and people were submitting a transaction uh, like maybe gas was like like. 100 when they submitted the transaction by the time they clicked the button it had gone up to 150 then 200 then 300 and they were stuck like they, they couldn't do anything uh, i'm not even sure back then whether metamask had its speed up and cancel buttons i think it might have been just before it but even then in the early days i don't think they they worked and i was effectively just like changed roles on that day to customer support and maker and we were just like throwing documents out into into rocket chat back then of like trying to help people how to unlock your wallet and it was just constantly like endlessly trying to help these people And the reason so many of them got their wallet locked is because they needed to perform six, seven, eight trades to try and get out of the out of the position um, uh, or close their position or save it. And you have to do approvals and you have to then like reduce your debt and maybe you pay back some debt, withdraw some collateral, go to Uniswap, try and try and convert that that collateral back to like more die. Have to do another approval if you don't want to like leave unlimited approvals on there and so on. So the risk of getting locked at that point is is so, so high. Um, as well and trying to keep up with with the gas prices that flash loans like if we'd have had for instance our closed positions on there i think many many more users would have been able to save their position because you don't need you don't need to go and find like the money to save your position you can just instantly press just one transaction one click effectively boom and and you're done so in the event of a black swan some of these technologies that like yeah have have quite a bad rep obviously being the cause of a lot of the The hacks and stuff if you need to get out quickly it, it's the best tool out there for, for for getting out of position quickly um reducing the reducing the risk of like a fat finger bug or anything like that or fat finger trade um yeah so it, it 100% can 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 cause issues uh and so on i'm i'm not sure if it can cause many more issues than than the hacks and exploits at the moment i, I don't believe that there's there's flash loans in particular pose pose much of a risk, particularly now with the new protocols that everyone's so familiar with flash loans. 
um, and so on. Like I think the early days of like the Uniswap oracles and stuff, if people relied on a single oracle on a single exchange, obviously they created huge amounts of problems um, and so on. But now, like, yeah, I think they, they can do some harm, but when the market's moving fast, they can be the most useful tool um, yeah, mm. through through apps. Because as a user, it's very difficult to go and use a flash loan. Like if you wanted to try and just do a flash loan yourself, like it's a it's a fairly complex, complex operation, right? Like you can't you can't redo it through Etherscan or anything like that unless you've already deployed your proxy contracts and so on. But uh yeah, through through tools like Summerfy and so on, to be able to go out there in the in the in the worst possible market condition and just hit a button, hit close, and and hopefully it closes. Um like the only thing you've got to consider there is 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 your your acceptable slippage. So if the market's dropping, like you might just have to close it and put like five or ten percent on on slippage, just so you know you get out. Because once that transaction has failed and you click the button again and done it, the market might be further down than ten percent anyway. Um, so so yeah, I, I think the biggest risk still is like yeah. MEV bots and so on, right? Like the, the sandwich attacks and so on. So people that aren't super familiar with what they're doing. I think like they pose a much bigger risk to 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 users or like say like regulators testing products maybe or something like that right not really understanding or knowing what they're doing just submitting a transaction and not knowing like how to configure that properly um and again that's something we try and we try and help with like different strategies have different defaults that allow you to go and change them and so on but mm. yeah, that's the biggest area you can get rugged. And we've seen users in the, in like Twitter and stuff, right? Like all over the place where they've they've accidentally like they put like an eighty percent slippage in because they don't probably know what they're really doing or understand the terminology, and then they get sandwich attacked, right? And they've they've had it had their thing traded, like sold all of their all of their stuff for peanuts, basically. These these sandwich attacks, I mean, they there's a way to. I've seen some some dexes include MEV protection. As, as part of their uh, contracts, uh, is that uh, something that you do as well? Yeah, so through through automation, um, we, we submit things to Flashbots through our automation things. So whenever there's an automation mm. happening, um, because some of those trades, and again, it's you're, you're effectively asking automated tools to try and make human instincts at times uh, through there. And, and mm. sometimes, like we, and, and it's, again, better to sometimes have things closed than not closed in like an earlier transaction if the market is dropping. So we submit things to Flashbots um, on there. There is also, uh, you can use different um, RPCs now as well. Um, I think, I think was, it, was it CalSwap and, and, and people uh, brought, out, brought out the RPC uh, node now that you can use, um, like through MetaMask or whatever, that effectively uh, gives you protection um, on that. Um, but yeah, there are, there are, there are also um, trading platforms now that help you do it, like CalSwap and so on is, a, is probably the most popular. Um, in that in that sense, I think one inch uh, um, infusion mode as well. They they allow you to protect, like allow you to trade with with that protection kind of built into their their swap engine. Right. Um, basically, so so there is ways. The difficulty for us is a lot of these protocols for doing doing our stuff with flash loans and so on is like if you take one inch fusion mode for example, it's it's not completed in a block. So you submit your transaction, you sign a message, and you sit and wait maybe like a minute or so for your trade to complete, which then breaks the composability of using flash loans and so on. So mm-hmm. there are there are ways. Obviously, Flashbots is, is great, but then you have to pay, kind of pay the minor bribe um, for that, right? To, to get it in. So it does, incre- it, it does increase the costs. 
and it kind of mi- limits it for certain users. And when the market conditions are are rough, that those bribes are are shooting up in price, um, and it ends up at times mm-hmm. becoming very very costly. So at that point, you're kind of like, okay, do, do you want to? <laughs> is it better to take the 0.5 percent full slippage in a sandwich attack? Like, because if you're not careful, the, the 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 minor bribe to make sure your transaction is protected from slippage could be more than the like kind of the value you're trying to protect in the first place. Um, mm-hmm. So again, there's a, there's a number of trade-offs that you've got to consider as a user to say, okay, what is what's like the best worst case scenario here in a way? Because sometimes if you just default to say, oh, I'll submit everything through Flashbots, if it's a small trade you're doing, the the price of the bribe is is just to get into the into the next block. So you are not, uh, yeah, it, it doesn't matter what the size the size of your trade. So if you're doing a really big trade, it often makes a lot of sense. But if you're just a hmm. average user, most of the time it probably isn't going to make a huge amount of sense for you. So it's better to go and use, yeah, other methods and so on. So interesting. I mean, this this world of the dark forest of MEV is, is just <laughs> a fascinating. Uh, everything that goes into it. Yeah. Um, so, but what about so you? I agree with with you that flash loans are pose a risk, but they can also be a huge asset in terms of you know market turmoil. Like it, it can be the thing that saves you as well. Um, but what about all, all this leverage? Like we've seen um, how like the the harm that over leverage has posed to traditional finance. Like that's been a cause of like I don't know most financial crises. Do you think? Um, using all of these derivatives, so like wrapped staked ETH, that's like two layers of derivatives and adding leverage to that. I mean, can that, I don't know, does that uh, pose some sort of maybe like systemic risk to DeFi if something goes wrong there? I think think so. I I mean... There was a there was a time, wasn't there? I think it was November twenty two when when state teeth started to lose its peg. Um, when we were in that in that scenario mm-hmm. where we were we were kind of over leveraging the wrap state teeth when state teeth wasn't redeemable back to ETH, right? And it and it did create that 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 time where we were we were yeah. technically yeah. locking up all of that. Uh, yeah, a year ago. Yeah, that's uh, that's again crazy to think about that. But uh, mm-hmm. like there was that there was a time where we were just locking. Yeah. Loads and loads of ETH into interstate ETH. Sometimes a lot of it through these leverage strategies and so on. Um, when it wasn't redeemable on the other side, so as soon as we potentially lost trust in 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 the state ETH token or, or, or just a concept of of state teeth, the state ETH token, um, then uh, yeah, it would have created huge, huge, huge risk to the industry, and it almost did, right? I think uh, it was Instadap back then that had the Instadap Light Vault that was kind of primarily responsible on I think RVV two back then for like the huge amount of leverage that was that was there. And I think they took like huge losses and had to bail out that strategy, I think, at, at one point when the, when the peg broke to like 92 or something. Um, but if, when you when you compare it to the kind of traditional world, I'm not, I'm, I don't know if it's that comparable in that sense, because I think the, the big key difference, and I think one, one of the big reasons why I particularly got involved in DeFi back in like 2018 and so on, is the transparency. And there is there's always that 100% backing so it doesn't matter how how leveraged almost anything is some kind of maybe tokens and protocols aside that are like like kind of almost worth worthless tokens that are somehow backing a, a huge amount of value and so on but uh yeah there's 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 everything is there um 
backing it. It's completely mm. transparent um, and so on. If you think back to like the turmoil last year, um, with, with like kind of like Luna Terra, then then Three Areas Capital, then 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 FTX, in kind of moving forward into November, like nothing nothing went wrong in DeFi. Like DeFi just like just handled that like just another day of the week. Almost like there hadn't really been a huge market drop. There was no there was no bad debt really on any of the core DeFi platforms and here we're talking about the, the, tier, the tier one platforms like the the, the Aves, the makers the compounds and so on like they just they just dealt with it like everything worked exactly exactly as designed and it and it did that crucially because of the transparency in all of the systems so when so when market participants were were doing liquidations like they knew that the, these tokens like they knew what the value of them was there was there was no there was nothing like hidden in a, in a kind of dark room somewhere mm. or anything like that the, the system that that transparency gives so much trust um to a system that, that is ultimately trustless right but uh but that transparency completely changes the game i think when it when you compare it to banks and mortgages and so on and kind of like default rates and redemption rates and so on there like it it's yeah it, it feels more like kind of like chalk and cheese when you when you compare in those so if you want to look at like what is the state of maker and so on there are there are some kind of like asterisks in a way to apply. So I think on like, is it the CRV token that's that's dominated by this, this the CRV founder, right? That has that huge amount of debt. And there was huge concern a few months ago around like, does that put Aave, like the Aave markets at, at any risk and so on? Um, because the, the value of that token was almost propped up by this one one guy, right? Like he could control kind of what, almost what happened to it in some senses. So was the value that like, that, that backing like was that loan fully collateralized and so on um like technically like it, it was according to like the oracles and the dex prices and so on but like would it be in market turmoil like i think is, is a big question but yeah but that's still just a small like a fairly small drop in the pond really um when you when you look at the size of of DeFi and, and everything that DeFi has to offer there and yeah the risks that that, that come with that leverage i yeah I don't. I don't think are mm. are comparable really to the the, the the kind of centralized worlds. I mean, even like you see like the Nexos and so on, right? Like we have no idea what they were doing behind the scenes and so on, right? And the Celsius yeah. and stuff. And like all we knew was mm-hmm. there was no way you can be paying out like twelve or thirteen percent on like dying USDC and ETH, like in a sustainable way. Like something something mm-hmm. fishy is 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 going on here, and. uh yeah, like it's it's just not possible. Like this, <laughs> the Luna Terra thing, right? Like we all knew, like that was the only DeFi one I think that like technically was kind of like DeFi that that blew up like that badly. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of others, right? But that was a really big one. But everybody, or everybody, like I would put in a respectable bucket personally on on Twitter and so on, was calling it out almost on day one. Like this, this doesn't work and and stuff, right? But the mm. biggest problem with all of these systems is in my opinion, is just human greed. Like humans are greedy, right? Like, uh, like they see like twenty percent or something on a thing, and there's 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 nothing you can tell someone sometimes around like here's the sure. proof, um, and and that's when systems break, when it's they just they just become in, entirely unsustainable, um, and so on. But yeah, maker of a compound and so on. Like if you look at last year, like what what they went through, it was incredible to see like what happened and so on. Um, and it was all caused yeah. by human fraud, right? There was, there was nothing, there was nothing in the technological layer that broke 
last year. It was it was just fraud on uh, at a human level. Need funding for your blockchain idea? The Stellar Community Fund is funding projects with up to $100,000 in XLM per project to build on the Stellar network. To get started, head over to communityfund.stellar.org and make a submission. Those are all great, great points. I think it's it's great to remember how well DeFi weathered the crashes of last year. Um, Luna, Terra, Three Arrows, uh, FTX. And I think a, a great point that you made also is how, you know, what what most differentiates DeFi from, from TradFi in using derivatives and, and leverage is that everything is, uh, is transparent and that there is collateral and that you can verify whether the collateral is there and importantly, the quality of that collateral. So I think... You know, while Terra Luna was was DeFi, everyone could see that the thing backing UST was Luna, and so you could make, you know, your your own assumptions of whether that was you know a legit collateral to have for a stablecoin or not. You know, like a made up token, and yeah. same thing with FTX, like the thing that was backing, quote unquote, <laughs> these loans quote unquote <laughs> that yeah. um that ftx was making to alameda was the ftt token uh so yeah i think absolutely like being able to see the quality of collateral on chain uh being able to see you know everything that's going on in a protocol um is is what can protect DeFi from all these you know black swan events and and allows DeFi to really take you know these leverage positions, uh, these loops, like all these like crazy strategies. Um, and yeah, there's smart contract risk, but at least there's this other side that uh, feels safer or at least uh, as as safe as, as being able to, to understand what, what the risk is, which, which I think yeah. is what any, any trader needs in the end. Yeah. And 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 then and then the self custody nature of it, right? So so many people, like mm -hmm. completely innocent people, that maybe weren't even taking on uh, that leverage and so on, and like being part of it in in FTX and so on. So many people have lost mm -hmm. so much money because uh, because they don't they yeah. they weren't in control of their assets, right? That they gave that custody over to 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 trust someone, to trust a team of humans to say, hey, please do not, please don't do something stupid with my money, um, and so on, mm -hmm. and and. Yeah, so like you said, there's the there's smart contract risk and so on, but it, it is a safer system. It's more transparent, but crucially, again, like especially if you if you don't want to take that risk, when when you have self custody of it, even if you just keep it in your wallet, you know it's still going to be there like tomorrow. Like no matter what happens in the system, the value of it might have decreased by half. Like true, like there's nothing you can do about that, but you know it's still there. Mm -hmm. But there's was it millions and millions of people like around the world that that yeah, had money in FTX that took on, took on in their eyes, probably no risk at all because um, they didn't want the smart contract risk. Uh, and they, they put it into FTX or held it in FTX or they just bought, were buying crypto through FTX or whatever. Now potentially have lost everything. I mean, they may get it all back, right? Like, like depending on, depending on how it all goes and mm -hmm. so on. But uh, there's, there's a chance and there's a risk that, that they won't get anything back. Um, of course, in Lunaterra, people, the only people that, 
well, apart from everyone else that lost money, like in the price drops and so on, like the, the majority of people that lost in at that point were white, the, those that went chasing off that 20%, right? Um, and, mm-hmm. and they took on their economic risk um, effectively. But those those users that are just holding their holding their crypto and non-custodial wallets. And yeah, last year should have been the biggest advert ever for DeFi. Like it, like, it should, like, <laughs> like DeFi non-custodial, yeah. like, like we couldn't pay for like bigger adverts basically. Um, like for yeah. that, like the most truthful adverts. But unfortunately we all got brushed under the same, the same rug where crypto is, crypto is a fraud. Crypto is risky. You shouldn't be using crypto. And I think like endless events last year, and particularly just more traditional financial events, and so on, like just trying to get that message across that it was like crypto as a technology didn't fail. Like te- the technology side of crypto last year absolutely shone, shone brighter than it ever, ever could have done. Yeah. Um, but yeah, every, everybody outside of crypto just brushes it under that same, that same rug. And uh, it's the uphill battle that we've got around yeah. that kind of non-custodial kind of self-custody kind of battle really. Exactly. Yeah. And, and in the end, like those, uh, those founders or like the, 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 the people leading those, uh, like CFI, that CFI side of crypto, what they did was just outright, you know, good old fashioned fraud. Like it had nothing to do with the underlying technology itself, but, you know, because they were crypto companies, just crypto itself, the technology yeah. got uh, a bad reputation, uh, which, yeah, it's 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 a real shame. Um, what do you think in in terms of like the, the mainstream user? How how do how to get them to care about something being non custodial? Uh, about you know having uh, a, a protocol be decentralized and everything be on chain like like you said like if events last year didn't do it then you know what will i mean you as you know ceo of summer you know uh how how do you get just like the average mainstream user to care about all this stuff yeah so i I think we're a long i think we're a long way away yet before we we can even try in that sense i mean i think the kind of strategy that we're all kind of following really which is like almost slowly slowly onboarding people like i'm sure like you you do the same right i'm sure like we have to onboard people almost through centralized exchanges to start with introduce them to crypto with us through like coinbase Mm -hmm. or whatever and and then we slowly educate them um and and almost handhold them onto on into into the kind of DeFi world um at times obviously during like the 2021 bull runs and so on it was it was much much easier when there was like almost huge money to be made in almost any token and and tokens that you could almost only buy on the, only buy on dexes at the time um but that isn't the long that, that can't be the long-term strategy i think there's a number of things we've got to solve for first like ux on ux onboarding has got to be like one of the first ones right like whether that's account abstraction or it's something else in the future like ways of making like self-custody just work and behave like a like a centralized interface um like until that happens, like it's it, we're, we're never we're never going to onboard like the next billion users or whatever, right? Like the the technology, the the user user experience of of crypto of of of, of DeFi or whatever is not ready for the next billion users right now. I think we all want it want to try and keep advancing it. I think if you look back every twelve months, like it it is taking huge huge strides every time. 
but we're, st- we're still not there yet to like, like we'll just get like, there isn't really customer support so much in, in DeFi really. Like the idea of like discord servers and communities mm-hmm. and so on. Like we, there is not the resources to onboard a billion, a billion people with the struggles that they have. So we just got to be, I think, head down, like focusing on, on the user experience. And I think ultimately to kind of asking ourselves, like challenging ourselves kind of every single time really, really like, how can we make this experience better for the, for like the average user or a new user? Like, what are they going to see? What are they going to experience? Like seed phrases are not it, right? Like, <laughs> like we can never mm-hmm. like really get people and ask people like a billion people around the world in the next 12 months, for instance, to go and write down like 12 or 24 characters and store them in a safe or whatever, right? Like it's just not, not going to be possible. So the, like, it needs to look and feel like, like you're just using another app on your phone in a sense. And I think we're, we're maybe getting closer, like obviously Coinbase with, 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 with the, with the base layer to like somehow like building that, connecting that more and more and more into the, to the Coinbase experience and the Coinbase like app and the Coinbase wallet and so on. Like there's still obviously several different, like you can't, you've got to go from Coinbase app to Coinbase wallet and so on. And then onto the like change networks and, and, and so on. So there's still, there's still many hurdles to go, but I think like, yeah, we've just got to keep, keep improving it until as a user, you don't even, you don't even know using it. Like I strongly believe that crypto like in, in maybe 10 years time will be an extremely widely adopted thing around the world. Like, but the, but the crucial bit of that is, is, is almost everyone like, all of our friends out like just kind of in, in normal street in a sense, like they'll be using crypto, but they won't even probably know that they're using crypto and so on. Now, hopefully that isn't just like mm-hmm. banks and so on of like they're kind of like central bank digital currencies and so on. And like in a completely controlled and centralized way, hopefully it's, it's, it's in a kind of a decentralized way. And by then we've got kind of governments and regulators and stuff kind of like starting to learn a little bit more and understanding how it can protect users, like examples of, of of last week, for example, of of how that can help and work specifically for summer, what changes would you like to see in in the user experience, or maybe what changes are coming up? Yeah, so I think I mean the wallet experience is is a big one that's that's kind of outside our control. Um, we kind of kind of take a conscious decisions really to like to, to not focus on that. There's many many teams and projects in the space doing like really great and awesome work, and then they're the experts in that. From our point of view, it's it's really just in constantly constantly improving on the kind of the UI experience. Um, a lot of the time, like I think that's the thing that that helps people most. So, so we're working on our own on, onboarding uh, improvements at the moment, and, and how to kind of use different technologies to help people find the best position for them in a way, whether that's kind of like the risk reward um, factor or whatever. But from our point of view, it's just making it's making DeFi as accessible as possible, um, and and kind of as feature rich as possible. Uh, but crucially for the features that users want to use. Um, so kind of how we go about that as well is like we performed a ton of user interviews and so on. So we've got dedicated UX researcher in the team, um, Jordan, who, yeah, who, who speaks with multiple users uh, every single week, um, mm. sometimes not even users of summer. So, so users through other surveys that we've done that are just like kind of DeFi surveys um, that they're willing to kind of participate in, in feedback sessions and so on. And sometimes the most important questions today was like, like, why don't you use summer? Um, and sometimes we get some, get some great insights, uh, from that occasion. It's like, what's summer, uh, which is like, <laughs> hopefully something we'll sell for in the future. But, um, those are, those are, those that have heard of summer and, and, and know about summer. There's normally some amazing reasons why they, why they don't use summer at the moment. And, and there, there are a lot of times the things that we need to, 
need to solve for. But it can also be quite a challenge, I think, and a, and a balance as well, because DeFi is still full of kind of crypto OGs, like particularly this year, like most of the people around, left like look at crypto Twitter and, and so on, like most of the people still around are people that were around in 2019 and 2020. Like these are people that are super familiar with crypto and know exactly what they're doing. And it, it can be quite easy through some of that feedback and so on to go and build a complex user interface mm. that just speaks to these experienced users. So you, you can then imagine a new user coming in and being like, whoa, like what is like all of this terminology and so on. Um, and we still struggle with that at some at sometimes, like the idea of like like um, borrow costs and so on on platforms like Aave, where you get paid a yield in to lend, and then like maybe the token you're lending is also earning a yield as well. But then there's a borrow rate, and depending on your LTV, like that changes, and even the terms like LTV and so on, like to the to the ordinary person in the street, like they don't they don't think in LTVs and uh, liquidation prices and and things like that. Mm. So um, so that's that's the kind of big thing there. And then it's just about accessibility and ease of use um, at the kind of strategy level as well. So one thing that we're going to be we're kind of looking into is, is how to make how to make our own strategies even easier to use. There, like internally, internally, we kind of look at them and call them kind of sophisticated earn strategies at the moment because you, like, like we talked about earlier, like you've got those yield loops, you've got the flash loans, you've got the trading price, you've got the the kind of peg risk and so on. How can we take a lot of that away and just create very very simplified strategies that still learn a competitive yield and hopefully competitive to the kind of centralized rates that you might earn in a bank account or something like that. How can you just kind of in one click deposit a USD stable coin and it just returns you uh, a yield and your only option is to either deposit more or withdraw it. Um, mm. Exactly how a ba like a basic savings account works. If you've got your kind of your savings mobile app or your bank account mobile app and you can just put it into a savings pot, like we want to make kind of yield like that as, as, as simple, as easy as that, while never giving up kind of custody of your assets. Um, so that's, yeah, that's that's a big thing for us. And then also next year, it's like going to be a big year for us for just pushing pushing much more uh, uh, automation features. So we've got our automation system that allows you to like set stop losses or auto buys or auto sells or take profits and so on. Um, but we've got some like some really nice kind of new automation strategies kind of prepped for next year. Um, that we're like going to be really excited about releasing as well, and and hopefully some more advanced ones as well that like kind of like buy the dip strategies and so on, um, mm. which will hopefully help users take advantage. Um, so as soon as the market dips, it helps to maybe maybe try and buy that um, for them because we know there's so many users out there that that try and do it manually, often time it poorly, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so just try and like again for those kind of sophisticated sophisticated users, help them and build build tools for them that are. Again, I think I said at the beginning, help them get the job done in the easiest way possible, and and so you don't have to be at your computer twenty four seven. Because we know like crypto people love being at the computer, like like any any waking hour, right? And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, like that's like, if we can if we can hopefully change that a little bit as well, then I think we'll have like kind of done our job um, nice. a bit better. And you're just gonna you're gonna see more protocols popping up on summer throughout next year as well. So. Um, Hopefully, yeah, by the end of next year, it'll be a fully fledged kind of like DeFi front end, basically. I think Summer, you know, is one example of how DeFi is, is maturing beyond kind of these base infrastructure layers, providing more um, options, at, uh, hopefully an, an easier UI. Uh, but there are other others who, who do this as well. Uh, 
Yeah. Thinking of DeFi Saber and Setup are kind of in the same area. Yeah. Uh, how do you compare with them? Like, what's what's your differentiation? At a product level, we do all very, very, very similar things. Um, as you pointed out, I think in some aspects, like they're not competitors or anything like that in some aspects, right? Like we're all fighting the same battle to try and like onboard as many people as possible to DeFi and so on. We've uh, like at summer, like we've like when we're Oasis and so on, like we always pride ourselves of kind of being a like, kind of UI UX first. So, so I like to think that at summer, like we have like the cleanest UI, like the simplest UI, like if you want to go and get your, get the job done um and so on like the easiest place to do that like is is summer is is what we hope um and the ui has always been the focus of of a lot of our stuff um it is quite minimalist in in places like i think if you go to instap and DeFi saver and so on there's like potentially like a, a ton more information <laughs> mm-hmm. and so on available but we've tried to abstract that away around like as much as possible um and we think that's what will help newer users coming in again, like not, not this kind of all of the jargon, uh, that comes with like kind of DeFi more generally, but trying to, trying to simplify it, but not simplify the experience. So it dumbs it down so much to, to a user that wants to like do something with like several hundred thousand dollars or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, at a, at a product level, like we're all DeFi kind of DeFi front ends. We're all, uh, all completely non-custodial, um, and so on. I think really the difference is just the approach we go about the kind of the user interface um, within that. And then, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd like to think that we've got like we've we've also taken some learnings from them both. So they kind of both had a had a head start when we were within the Maker Foundation. We were our hands were tied. Like we were not allowed to like do any of the kind of bells and whistles. Um, the whole the whole time we were there, we were allowed very simple transactions. We weren't allowed to use flash loans. We weren't allowed to add like dexes and stuff. Um, to to the transactions behind the scenes but what it meant was is we kind of built almost this huge library of, of user research and once we split out we effectively we knew exactly what we needed to do um so even on parts of automation for example where like the auto sells or the auto buys you can set like your auto sell down to a certain price so you can you can say like okay i keep selling my eth until it hits like 1800 and then and then stop loss me um for example, because we know from the past where like users have like, particularly like post 21 and into 22, users have just like auto sell their way, like just down and down and down and down mm. and down. And and you look back and you like, wow, like where did all my like ETH go? Um, and, and we've kind of heard some of these stories and so on. So we want to just build, build it in such a way that like, yeah, it isn't necessarily good for us because effectively we're kicking people out of our products um if if we're protecting their assets but it's like it's those users that will come back um and so on kind of later down the line so mm-hmm. uh so yeah so they're they're, they're d5 front-end competitors um in that sense but in the kind of wider wider goal wider like kind of thing that we're all aiming for like we're all waving the same flag of uh for, for d5 like self-custody of assets and so on so when we're going up against the yeah celsius and nexos and so on we're all on the same page in that sense makes sense yeah um it it's this interesting tension for DeFi front end where you know people as you mentioned people who are in DeFi right now are crypto natives like they know what they're doing they're super sophisticated traders so you have to build for them like they're the ones 
who are bringing in the money right now. So yeah, so there's this tension, right? Between, you know, building for people who are already here, crypto OGs, and building for the uh, the 1 billion people who we want to bring in who have no idea what any of this is. And you need to build a front end for, for both. So yeah, super complicated because you want to like do the one click deposit USDC, get yield. But at the same time, you need to tell the user what they're getting into. So it, at some point you, you need to kind of explain like all the complexities of it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a yeah. tough job. <laughs> yeah. But there is, there's also a lot of similarities between the users in that sense, right? Like, so the sophisticated user doesn't want to see, for instance, sometimes all of the, like they know what they're doing, like you said, so they don't need to see or want to see like a screen full of information at all times. They want to see the critical information that's that's really important to them. And the new user doesn't want to be overloaded with information. So when it comes to like kind of design templates and layouts and so on, they're not they're not hugely different in that sense. But the different products that you are targeting the different different users to. So like the kind of newer users are probably not the ones that are going to be doing the self-managed like yield loop strategies um, necessarily. But they that that new user might want to just come in and just deposit their USDC and earn five or six percent, um, and 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 roughly know maybe where it's going. But crucially, they just want to know that the product is trusted, um, and it's and it's a trusted place. And hopefully, they've been referred by somebody else that they trust, and so on. And that's where we can like kind of get to, um, and so on. So it's it's all about kind of information hierarchy, and and how much you want to present that on screen, and how much you want to make accessible, but doesn't need to be uh there at all times if that makes sense this wouldn't be a DeFi show if um i didn't ask you about a token <laughs> is, is that in the word <laughs> uh there's, there's nothing there's nothing planned right now but um yeah there's that's uh yeah okay it seems like that's there was some say. sort of, of, of potential <laughs> in the future but we'll <laughs> we'll leave there's, it there uh, yeah i mean we'd, we'd never say never but um okay. Yeah, at the moment, I think I think the crucialness about it is, is if we can find something where there's utility in it, then uh, then yeah. I mean, I think I think we stand out near the top of a lot of those charts, right? As one of the only ones without. So um, yeah, it, it's there's got to be like I think if we wanted to do it, then uh, it would we'd want to we'd want to do it properly. Okay, and then for thinking about the long term for summer, uh, where would you want it to be, or like what would you want it to look like, say in, in ten years? Yeah, I mean, from from our point of view, I think it'd like, yeah, almost almost be the dominant the do, do, dominant front end to access DeFi uh, from. So if users are are coming in, if, if people are coming into DeFi, then for us, like, we've we've done our job, done our job. If people are like just just come into summer uh, to do it, or one in every two, for example, just come come to summer um, to access DeFi. So you don't think about going to a protocol front end like. You'd, like you might have, you know, might know about one of the protocols we support, whether it's still Aave Maker and so on. But you know that if you want to access DeFi, if you want the best experience of accessing DeFi, or just the best experience, hopefully in ten years' time, just of just being a, accessing finance um, mm -hmm. and so on, then you will just come. You will come to come to summer. I mean, I'm pretty sure in ten years' time we won't be calling it DeFi. Um, mm -hmm. If if we are still calling it DeFi, then it's nowhere near growing as much as any of us hoped it would. Right? Um, by then, it should just be. It should just be finance, finance in, yeah, in 10 years time. Um, so yeah, kind of, if anything, probably just look like a glorified kind of like trading and savings account. So if everything goes right, then summer becomes the front end for finance. Hopefully. Yeah. Like front end mm -hmm. for like effectively, yeah. Borrowing, borrowing, multiplying and, and, uh, and earning. 
So um, I think in 10 years' time, the, dom- the, the, the dominant side of it for, for like those billion users um, is, is going to be on the earn side. Like I think you're still going to have like your your small, probably like 2 to 5% of users with a lot of wealth that are doing a lot of big trading and doing complex strategies and so on. And ultimately, it's going to be the billion people earning a yield from supply and liquidity that runs that new modern financial system um, and so on. But uh, yeah, how that looks, if it's still Ethereum, we're on whatever layer we're on by then um, and so on. Like, yeah, who knows? Mm-hmm. Hopefully we're not all on centralized centralized, uh, centralized blockchains run of our own country and our own governments and so on. And we can't interact between like, yeah, cross borders and stuff like we do today. So uh, yeah, hopefully it's still completely like, that doesn't know anything about borders and so on. But Exactly. Yeah. Hope. I mean, hopefully some of the... The properties that we talked about that make DeFi so much better end up winning out. And and yeah, it's DeFi ends Hopefully. up taking over finance. Yeah. Yeah. There are many forces that are going to try and stop that happening though, right? That's the uh that's that's the big battle. And even a 10 year time frame is it's is fairly small. I think even if you look back, I think at the internet from from t- kind of two thousand to two thousand and ten, like the advancement it made then from two thousand and ten to two thousand twenty was like such a huge step change. Yeah, so uh yeah, that's true. Yeah, if we can all still be here in in ten years' time, kind of still battling, then it's the next ten years that's going to be the the most fascinating. Um, yeah, effectively, almost then in in twenty years' time, kind of seeing what the AI revolution is in in twenty years' time that we have today for like crypto, basically for the very short term. Hopefully, you know this bull market. Uh, we'll see some some of that progress in terms of UI and and hopefully uh, at least a part of that new billion users uh you know we, we get we get a a piece of that uh, and and some yeah, of yeah. them Absolutely. stick around <laughs> yeah 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 i'm i'm fascinated that we're already like kind of we're already into that moment of like calling it a bull market um yeah i I'm mean it's it, like uh, okay like, not, <laughs> knocking on wood <laughs> i don't want to jinx it <laughs> but, uh, like uh but yeah i think when we look back and so on like yeah hopefully like I think this whole year when you, it doesn't feel like it, but the whole year has been like fairly positive. I think mm-hmm. we're almost like 100% up almost from since Christmas in, on, on ETH and so on. But uh, yeah, hope, hopefully we can be there. Like I've already had a handful of like kind of non-crypto friends like telling me that they're back in profit and so on. Um, That's it. Recently, <laughs> which kind of almost <laughs> almost feels like the top again. But yeah. um yeah, like hopefully, like it's like it can it can get out there. We had the main news here this morning talking about Bitcoin hitting forty k again. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, suddenly suddenly it's like it's the cool kid in town again, and hopefully it can right. stay that way for a little longer. Yeah, exactly. All right, Chris, thank you so much uh, for your time. It's it's been really a pr- pleasure chatting. Um, so great to hear your your thoughts about DeFi broadly about summer. Um, and yeah, we'll definitely you know uh, keep following along uh, your journey. And yeah, hope to have you back on the show sometime. Yeah, Camilla, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I had a great time. Mm-hmm.